Folks often forget that engineering is inherently a very creative process. Monica Dinculescu found her own niche where she can build impactful things and do it in some of the most unusual ways possible. An excellent engineer, creative thinker, and fellow Eastern European by origin, Monica joins me today to talk about the things she learned as she figured out her own career path. Enjoy the show. Monica Dinculescu, welcome to The Work Item. So excited to have you here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So excited to be here. It's the first time that we get a podcast, and I think I could spend more time doing the intro before the podcast, talking to you about all the random stuff that goes totally outside the boundaries of the podcast. But I'm here to learn about your career, all the awesome things that you're doing. And I know that you built and continue to build quite a few things. So it's just... It, my hands are not enough to count. So I'll start with kind of the fundamental question. What sparked your interest in engineering? Because a lot of the things that you you did, like it started somewhere. What was it? Oh, yeah. This is, a, this is actually a really tragic question whenever I get it. So I did not want to originally do anything to do with engineering. I come from a family of engineers. I'm, I grew up in Romania where like all, all the people want to be engineers. So my mother is a programmer. My grandpa learned programming at 70 because he was bored. So it was a very clear thing that I was going to be a programmer. So as like in high school, I tried to do anything the opposite of that. So I was going to be an architect because I like drawing and stuff like that. But by the time I had to apply to university, it became very clear that like, I'm sort of like average at everything else. And kind of like without trying very hard good at programming so I was like I guess I'll do that um because the theme of my life is to do like fairly minimal effort for good things <laughs> work hard not smarter no work smart not hard that's the one <laughs> so that's how I and then I yeah and that's I just went to university for that and I ended up enjoying it it strikes a theme I think this is something that's very much in common with folks from eastern Europe I'm from there myself and my parents were economists at a university and they kind of did the exact same things. Like, you should become an economist. I'm like, I'm kind of average at everything. So I don't know if I would be a good economist. Yet here we are. Here we are. I know. I know. <laughs> We've tricked people to pay us for this. Right. Exactly. And, and hey, it's, it's, a, it's a nice job that we can do remotely. And we have, you know, sit in front of a computer. It's, it's quite nice. One of the big themes that I see in the work that you're doing, and this kind of spans the the gamut of project that you're building is that you're really big into mixing this creative touch with technology. Where's that coming from? Yeah, I think that comes from like this desk. So I, if I didn't do, if I didn't have anything to do with engineering or with like math or anything like that, I've always drawn, I, I paint in like many media, I like play instruments, I, I pick these hobbies up really easily. And it's, it's the things that I enjoy doing. And every time I'm at a job, I usually like bring like, it's, it's like a stereotype to say this, but I bring myself to the job. And like, I'm a very like loud and creative person. And if I have to do work that has nothing to do with that, or it's like not encouraged, then I'm probably going to be like a sad flower and wilt. Like I worked for a bank for three years and it was a tragic time because I really do not care about finance or the financial industry. And I just, that's all I wrote for three years. And I was like, I don't give a shit. I love everybody that I work with, but I got to get out of here. So yeah, I basically tried to, I, I think this is like 
what I'm good at, like whatever the problem is, I find a way to like solve it in a creative way or like explain it in a creative way. So this is why I've always had like jobs where I, it's a lot in open source. I, te- I tell people about what I work on. So I teach people about it. So I think that they, they sort of go hand in hand, teaching people and creativity in a way. Well, and what helps you pick up those hobbies? Because on a surface level, when you speak about, you know, music or any kind of crafts, it takes a level of skill, right? It's not just like, you know, yeah, we, we can say that a lot of people can be naturally good at certain things, but I know for myself, it doesn't come easy to say, here's a musical instrument, learn how to do it. What's your approach to that? Yeah, it usually, the things that I learn are because I see something and I go, I want to do that. So with, like, I played piano all my life and not until I was like in my mid-20s did I ever take classes. So I think I just got used to from an early age of like, I didn't think there was an option to like take classes to teach you stuff because like every time I went to school, school in Romania is like depressing and hard and it's all like very intense math and nothing is fun. Like even I think in art class in Romania, like grade six and seven, like I performed so badly because like it's not a fun class. I think like I always like learned that like the fun things you do on the side and nobody like teaches you about them, which also like pays off in the end. Cause like nowadays I look at something and I'm like, can I MacGyver my way through this? And the answer is usually yes. Like I'll have, if you look around my house, it's like weird things that Monica has fixed with string that are just sort of like held together by like string and a prayer and they work. But like, that's not what a normal person would do it. Like a normal person would like, I don't know, call up and whoever, like a house technician, I don't know who fixes these things. I just fix them with string. I got raised by a single mother. That's how we do things. This seriously gives me like flashbacks of uh, growing up again in Moldova in Eastern Europe. Uh, and uh, we had this art teacher, Miss Olga, and she was very brutally honest about telling me that my art sucks. Yeah, this is a thing. Like whenever I watch these like American sitcoms, I've been now outside of Romania for like 15 years. But like these mothers that put terrible drawings on the fridge, like my mother would never do this. And like Canadian high school, I would come home with like abstract art creations. And she'd be like, no, that is going in a closet because it kind of looks like a tumor. And we're not showing this to the people that come to the house. I wasn't exactly encouraged to do these things. So I do wonder if this was like my punk rebel thing when I was like, you don't like my art. I'm going to double down on it. So maybe this is how I got there. (laughs) I feel you on that one because it was it was very discouraging at the time but i was like you know what i'm gonna do it anyway screw it (laughs) it does yeah it does like sort of like build this like character trait where you're like even though you haven't coddled me about this i'm gonna double down on it because like i don't know eastern european parents aren't the softest softest things to navigate no no for sure They've got other problems than coddling you. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I, I mean, it's, yeah, that's, I think it's a whole new podcast that's talking just about that. <laughs> but you actually mentioned, uh, you know, classes versus self-learning. What's your preference for how do you learn? Is it like, do you need a class to pick something up? Or is it more about watching a bunch of YouTube videos and just pick up from there? Oh, yeah. YouTube has been amazing. Like, anytime I have a question, I will absolutely YouTube it and The problem, I I really enjoy taking classes. So I recently took like a bunch of pottery classes because I started doing pottery. And that's not a thing that you can very easily learn on your own because it's it's such like a by feel thing. And it's very hard to explain feel without a human there. The thing that I really dislike about, I really enjoy one-on-one classes. So when I finally started taking music classes, it was always one-on-one. 
but I don't enjoy group classes because you have to go at other people's pace. And like, this makes me sound like an asshole, but like either I want to go faster or I want to go slower. Like I have other questions that other people that people might not have. And I don't want to annoy everybody with my questions. So I think this is like also a slight dislike of classes where I'm like, I don't want to waste everybody's time with this like really annoying thing that I've been practicing for 30 hours and I can't get right. Because that's another thing that I'm going to do. I like, I'm one of those people where like, I will do the same thing until I get it right, which is incredibly boring sometimes. Like I have so many ugly failed of the same cup and then I finally got it and I was like, great, I can move on to a bowl. Whereas like everybody in my class was like, I make bowls, I make cups. And I'm like, I will obsess first. So one-on-one things, YouTube things, yeah. Is it like you're essentially getting a, I want to call it like a merit badge of saying, I've accomplished this. No, not because I don't even usually like talk about it that much. Like I just like do it and I just feel like accomplished. And I know that if I ever have to do it, like honestly, when that apocalypse comes and we all have to like move to farms and do things, I can make spoons, I can make pottery, I can like fire it and fire, like you name it, I can do it at this point. I can like knit things. I feel I can survive at the end of the world. So again, it comes through that you're this very creative personality. How do you mix it with technology? Like where do you see the, I think like the the parallels between the tech field and the more creative endeavors? Because people Mm. generally see tech as very, this rigid, write code, get the application running, make sure that the enterprise is running, (laughs) stuff like that, which is not very creative. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like a large part of tech that is that. Like there is, you know, the the tech that makes things go and like the tech that we rely on that is like perhaps not as creative. Like I rely on my iPhone to exist. And like, I'm sure that a lot of the programming for the iPhone is boring, but there's also like, I really love the kind of programming that puts your stuff right in the hand of the user. And not in the sense that like, you know, the button has to function, but it's like, how can I make the user's interaction with like, maybe this machine learning model or maybe this like library that's really boring to them, but how can I like bring them into this library and make it relevant to them. So for the last like two years, for example, I've worked on the Magenta team, which builds these amazing music models that are so good at like generating music or helping you make music or like generating drums for your melodies. And all of these models are like giant, you know, machine learning models where you have to understand machine learning, how to use them. And this is going to shock everyone, but like musicians are not machine learning engineers. Like you give them a Python collab and they're like, and what the shit is this? Um, and I know this is like, we did this with a band and like, they struggle for years. Like they actually used our collabs and they were like, we beg you, like figure something out. So I really love being there, like taking this problem and be like, here's this classically non, like maybe the intent of a model is creative, but like models in themselves are like a creative thing. And how do I bring it to users? How do I make users care about it? How do I make us- like make it usable to users, make it explainable, like so that they understand what's going on. So that's where I try to like insert myself in into the equation. I love that approach of essentially you give the tools to do the craft that they're doing instead of having them relearn anything else. Because I know like if somebody gives me right now, you know, hey, you want to build a website? Great. Here's some assembly code to start building your server. Good luck. You know, you hopefully your blog is up in the next year. Right. I, that's incredibly like rude and aggressive to users. And like I have this analogy, like I don't remember what I came up with it, but I love it. It's like, Think about your favorite painters, like, or think about Degas. I love Degas. He used to, like, you know, use chalk pastels to do things. He didn't, like, manufacture those chalk pastels. He was amazing at drawing with them, but he didn't make the things. The things were made by a French dude who maybe wasn't a good artist, but, like, that's the thing. He made really good chalk. 
And like, we're okay with this separation, but when we bring it to like modern technology, we're like, uh, actually everybody should speak C++. It's a great idea and it's not, it's terrible. This, this is so relevant, again, even to the current trends where we see this in education, where you take any computer science degree or anything else that is in engineering, and there's this kind of artificial distinction of real versus not real engineers. Like, oh, you're using, you know, something that like, I don't know, power apps or whatever glues things together. You're not a real programmer. It's like, do they need to be a real programmer? Do we care? Yeah, and also like, am I like I think of myself as a real programmer because I've been doing it for like seventeen years or however many. But like, if you see me operate a computer, it is a painful experience. Like, I overlap a lot with people who don't understand computers because I don't have this patience to like learn other people's tools. Like, I use VS Code like an animal, where I type in it, I click in it. There's tabs at the bottom that are open, and I've never interacted with them. Like, I know I can have a console inside inside, inside of VS Code. But I don't because I already have one on a different window. Why would I have two? Like this sort of shit. Like I do not like VS Code is a kitchen sink of tools and I use it as an editor that I type into. If I am lucky, it maybe can detect other functions in other files. But I'll be honest, most of the time it doesn't. And I, I've heard about Kubernetes for so long. I've never used Kubernetes. Like if you ask, if you put it in front yeah, of me. Yeah, that's when you like, like build a machine and when you're done with it, you throw it away, right? Like you right. build a desktop and you're like done with it. I don't actually know what it does. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, so, I mean, sure. Yeah, like here's, here's a container. I know how to, you know, here's a Docker file. Like, well, how do you orchestrate them? I no idea. And I, I'm- No. Yeah. <laughs> and like, if I ever, that's the other thing, like, we assign so much like, I don't know, like magic to these things. And they're not that hard. Like all you have to do is like read the documentation, struggle for like four hours and then you'll figure it out. Whenever this one comes up, I have like zero shame being like, I don't know how to do a Docker, but if I ever have to, I'll do a Docker, I'll figure it out. Like I figured out worse things. But like currently today on whatever day, this is Wednesday, can't tell you what how to do a Docker. It's fine. I sleep great at night. It's a conversation that I have with my mentees every once in a while. And they're like, oh my gosh, I just started at this other company and I have... I have no idea what I'm doing. It's like, it's okay. I've been doing this for seven years. I have no idea what I'm doing either. <laughs> so You'll figure it out. And that's the other thing. Like when you figure it out too much, you get bored of it. And you're like, well, I need to like go back to that feeling of like, I have no idea what's going on and I'm loving it. I find things on Stack Overflow and I use a Stack Overflow keyboard that, you know, the Stack Overflow C can Stack Overflow V. <laughs> like, that's all I do. Exactly. Yeah, there's like absurd things that I think I have to, like 100% of the time without fail, I have to Google if it's, splice or slice and what the syntax is in javascript and i have sliced or spliced so many arrays all i want to do is just delete one element and i don't understand why you can't make a function called delete this element the delete element at index like you can wrap it just just make just give me a sugar that's all i want google it 100 percent of the time it's like my most visited stack overflow page there's way more fun stuff to think about than which is the right function definition Exactly. Like, I don't have time. I don't care. I'm not sticking that in my brain. My brain's already messed up as it is. But to that point, and again, going back to a little bit of the creativity stuff, uh, you talked about Magenta. And this is, I'm really curious to learn more about the developments that you saw happen in terms of creating music, creating art through machine learning algorithms. Because it's in the age when we see ML being touted as this you know, it's a solution for everything. It'll automate everything. How does that apply to art and things like music, which inherently are seen as creative human endeavors? Yeah, isn't everything a creative human endeavor? Like classifying whether something is a cat or a dog, that's kind of a human endeavor. Here's the thing. Machine learning isn't magic. It's like this glorified fun. Like it's a very big and smart function that you didn't have to write. It's not that like, all you have to do is give this 
like giant black box and you're like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to implement your black box. I'm just not that MacGyvery about it. But if I show you enough input at outputs, why don't you figure it out? And you're like, great, that's it. That's the punchline of all machine learning. So this like the question is, well, what are my input and outputs? What do I want to do with this black box? And it can be something like really practical. Like I want to classify whether this piece of text is like suicidal or not. And that's a very like good approach to machine learning. But it also can be like, here is a MIDI file of every single music that every single song that I've produced before. The output should be something that sounds similar to this. And at this point, you're like, oh, this sounds really creative and awesome. But like the machine learning doesn't care. It's the same like bits and bobs in and out. It's like, it still spits out like neurons and weights. So it doesn't care. It just, it happens to be instead of like generating text or like classifying suicide, it's classifying the genre of a song or like the style of an image. Everything's just bits and bobs. And once you like think of them as bits and bobs, that's where I think it's really interesting. Why I'm really excited about Magenta because like before I worked on Magenta, I didn't actually think people were working on this at all. Like I didn't think that, you know, whenever, whenever I go home for Christmas, my mom's like, why would Google pay you to make music? And I'm like, it turns out it's because we use the same algorithms like text classification uses. And if you do novel research in something that like in transformers that generate music, that research applies to like transformers that generate text. So the entire field of machine learning is being advanced because people work on these apparently silly and creative problems because at the end of the day, they use the same sort of algorithms, the same sort of models. I don't know if I answered your question. I just went on a tangent. No, this is, this is a good one. And actually the question that follows up on that is, do you ever see that machine learning or anything in the nature of AI in whichever shape or form it's going to take in the future it's going to, I want to say like take over that part of kind of the, the human experience. I was like, well, this is, you know, go to Spotify and there's going to be a whole playlist of AI generated music when we get better with words. Yeah, but the thing is, I use Spotify a lot, no matter how, they are very good at like suggesting songs, right? So, you know, you're like Taylor Swift album ends and like they keep playing songs and it sounds great. And like somehow, like Rage, Rage Against the Machine will come in in the middle of the, this folky playlist because like I also listen to Rage Against the Machine. And it's like, man, you haven't even figured out how to do that well. Like I'm not worried that you're going to steal anything from humans. And also because I think a lot of this, I, I think a lot of this like we're stealing things from humans is kind of a fake idea. And it's a boring idea because anything that comes out of a machine learning algorithm needs to be curated in and of itself it like just literally spits out garbage like even like gpt2 which we're used to being so fantastic and it generates such good sentences those are like very cherry-picked sentences on average gpt2 is going to generate something like might not make sense and even to to make this particular gpt2 model spit out something nice a whole bunch of humans had to like curate these like input data sets that we trained it on so at no point was like the human out of the loop in this one like the human made the data for the model the human made the model the human looks at the model output and goes this is good this is bad this is good this is bad so what do you do with this model i think it's really interesting and it's in the same way where like we have synths or we have loops and we still make music with them and we don't question that like whatever dj khaled puts up is it like his music or not it's obviously his music but like he uses a lot of loops right and we don't question that like all all, all music nowadays has a lot of loops that the artists that are making that music didn't create. So I think that's like the same, the same question is just, we're a little more terrified of it because we don't, we, we assign too much magic to machine learning in general, but really just like another technology that's making, it's helping somebody do something and how they do that thing is what's important, not like. And maybe DJ Khaled is gonna feel better about it too because now he doesn't have to scream in the microphone his name, but it can be an AI algorithm. DJ Khaled. 
even I don't even know why I brought that one up. Like I don't know why I don't listen to DJ Khaled. I think it's because I've been so in the pandemic where I've watched every single YouTube video of every single celebrity and that Emma Stone uh singing All I Do is Win 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 is like at the top of my lives free in my brain. Somehow that like these kind of songs always come up on the radio where you just start the car and it's like DJ Khaled like again? Really? <laughs> hey, <laughs> but- it's it's good for driving. It's good for driving. But in machine learning, I can see it totally automating the boring stuff right? that we just don't want right. to do. Right. Like it's going to make amazing. It can make hours of like elevator music. Is that great? No, you're going to put it in. I don't think any like self-respecting artist is going to be like, dude, I made it. My music is in elevators. I feel so proud. I don't think that's the interesting part of making music. Much like I don't think the interesting part of making art is just like, I don't know, rotating shapes, like just putting random shapes on a screen and calling it a day. Like it's a little bit more than that. Right. And besides, if you think of just how much time is being spent on these non-creative endeavors when you're creating new music and you have to edit it and you have to slice it and you have to make sure that you align it properly versus what if you threw it to an algorithm? Like I'll give you the example of podcast editing. After we record the show, I have to then cut it, make sure that we do the right, you know, length for silences and remove some ums and things like that. What if I could just throw it to an algorithm and say, okay, do it for me. Right, exactly. And I think that's the interesting part. The interesting part isn't like worrying how this piece of technology is going to like affect, like ruin my life. But it's like, what do I need from this? What, what is this piece of technology adding to my life that I don't have before? And for the machine learning and art area, there's like these brilliant exhibitions that I love where Mario Klingemann is this artist who uses machine learning for a lot of like visual art and he has this exhibition where in a room it's projected on a wall a fairly like classically looking portrait of a person and this portrait comes out from a machine learning model called again and it like every like five seconds there's a new portrait and it does this for infinity over and over and over again and this is a thing that technology can do, but humans can't do. Like Mario Klingemann, the individual human being, can't spend like five seconds to generate this beautiful portrait, throw it in the trash and start instantly because somebody else walked in the room, right? But he's trained this model based on like art that he wants, based on like how he wants it to come out. He's like massaged it, grown it, watered it, whatever he's done. And at the end of the day, what this model does is his art and without the model, like that exhibition wouldn't exist. That entire like concept wouldn't exist. So I think this is where it's interesting, where like technology is really good at doing really repetitive things. How can I use this really repetitive things thing for art? And then it becomes a little more like more like this idea of curation. Right. And I mean, wouldn't we want more time to not do boring stuff? That sounds great. Sign me up, right? Exactly. I just watched this really tragic documentary called The Price of Everything that's basically about, you know, the problem with the art market and how basically the people who make money in the art market aren't the artists themselves or these like asshole rich collectioners who just buy art to sell it later for profit. And in this like one of the interviews were with Jeff Koons, which is this like modern artist that makes a lot of like very pop art visuals and the uh the installation he was working on was basically as part of this installation to get it going he had a room full of like intern artists that were like copying these very famous paintings like literally they were just spending like 30 hours copying this like Mona Lisa basically and then Jeff Koons would come in and put this like ball in front of them that was reflective because the installation is you watching yourself watching this art Jeff Goose has outsourced this to technology. He has hired like minimum wage interns for copying this art for him. He, the millionaire, is not doing this. 
And like, we're not exactly upset about that one, but like, if I had a robot that would do the same thing, at the end of the day, it's like, Jeff Koons is producing the same thing. I mean, I'm happy that he's paying these interns, but I'm also really unhappy that these interns are doing this and he's taking the credit. Like, I don't, their names weren't mentioned either. To me, again, this is one of those things where now if I have more time, I can spend that time creating more ideas or thinking of projects that I want to build that don't take you know, my life away. I think it would be interesting if you think of the lifespan of a human, how much of the time is actually spent on these boring, repetitive tasks on your webpack config yeah <laughs> right exactly like how many yaml files could have been automated if if only you had an algorithm where you could just say hey i'm looking for a server and you know the, this config and just go figure it out whatever this is the machine learning model i'm trying to train go figure out i think there's a tremendous power in just giving you back that time and spending life in more i want to say meaningful ways instead of doing this boring, repetitive stuff that a computer can probably do better and faster. Absolutely, yeah. There's like so many things that we rely on computers nowadays for. Might as well, like just, yeah, they're your tool. They do whatever you want them to do. Be strong, sheeple. Don't, don't let the computers win. I love that. But on the topic of creativity again, and you have quite a few side projects that you've built over the, the span of many years, including Things like tools to teach people the American Sign Language, which is huge, and including things like how to play the uke. And I was actually playing with it the other day, and I was like, this is so fun. I, I don't want to quit this website. But how do you discover these ideas to build? Like, how do you come up with, I want to say, like the, the brain power to say, oh, this is what needs to happen, and I want to go build it. And second to that is, how do you actually find the time for it? Because these are very complex projects that are probably like very time consuming as well. First answer is necessity is the mother of invention. Every time I build one of these things is because I have this problem and I'm a lazy person. And after Googling it for four minutes, I didn't find the thing that does exactly the thing that I do that I want. And I'm like, well, fuck it, I'll just build it. So in the case of the ASL app, I was learning ASL and I'm really bad at like letter spelling like fingerspelling and I'm really bad at reading fingerspelling. Like anytime one of my teachers would fingerspell, I'd be like, I got three letters out of that, be really honest. So I was like, what if like, I just, I have a computer, let's do this. Let's, you can just do this with me. Same with the ukulele app. I was trying to practice more chords because I come in and out of the ukulele and I forget everything. And I'm like, how do I practice? And I have these books and I hate them because they don't teach me how I want to be taught. Because again, I'm an asshole about these things. Uh, so then I just build it. Like that's what, and the thing is like, this is why it doesn't have any feature. Like a lot of people were like, can you add this to it? And I was like, absolutely not. Don't want that feature. I built it for me. It works for you or it doesn't work for you. Feel free to take the code and do it. What a bunch of people did that. They like took the ukulele app and like made it for the guitar or made it for like a different kind of ukulele tuning or anything like that. And I was like, sounds great. Whatever works for you. But that's what worked for me. Um, and as for the, when it, when I find the time, it's kind of, it goes in ups and downs. I, I, I tend to build these things either when I get really excited, like after work, or usually on Fridays after work, I, I, when I worked, because I just quit, I reserved Fridays for like doing cool things. And this isn't like I'm slacking off or anything like that, because I have like a very alien and good work ethic. But it was just like, on Fridays, I have ideas. And like these ideas come usually are related to work. So like, the fact that I play the ukulele helps the team that I work on, because like, we work with music, we work with people who want to learn music figuring out what people might respond to is a useful thing. So I tend to build these things. And like, honestly, they're not that much work because all I do is like write JavaScript and I don't do like web packs and I don't pack my webs. And it's just like, like if you look at all of my silly projects, like one index HTML, one style.css, 
one script.js, that's it, that's all. Putting it in there, really hideous code, ship it, never look at it again. You mean to tell me you're not having a geo-distributed cluster that auto-scales as people play more Uke? <laughs> no, it's hosted on Glitch, so that's a Glitch problem. That's the other thing, I try to like find, I try to find services or like ecosystems that like are built for people like me. So Glitch is something that I'm really excited about. And I've all, like I've been an early adopter since like day one, it became public because it was exactly what I needed. I wanted a place to write my code, put my code and walk away from it. And if anybody needs it, be like, that's where the code is, have it. And that's exactly what Glitch gets me. Like this goes back to like me using VS Code like an animal. I am incredibly happy coding an entire project in the Glitch web editor that doesn't do anything for you other than like format. Because honestly, that's all I need. I'm just writing JavaScript, like basic tools. People tend to overthink a lot when it comes to programming projects. And the striking thing that I think I saw the other day where somebody mentioned about the website Remote OK, I think it's for finding remote jobs. It's literally one index.php file with a bunch of jQuery. That's it. And it generates yeah. like 100,000 a month from a one-page app. For sure. I think like as engineers, we have this problem of like over, we, we love over-engineering things. And it comes because like people are really excited to apply the things that they know. Like they know this like new library came out and maybe they want to use it. People are excited about like having the problem of too many people using your website. Like everybody loves having that problem, right? So we try to build for it. But again, I am very lazy and my entire career has been about being very lazy. So if you've ever been in like a meeting with me or like I'm leading a project or something, I will say so many times we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Like unless you make a bad architectural decision at the beginning, which honestly usually happens from like over-engineering something. It's very rare that it, like you'll make such a bad decision that when you do have a lot of users, you'll be like, well, fog might as well rewrite everything. I definitely made a mistake. Like you can always add these like complicated features in, but if you start with like, oh, this like website that tells you whether or not the boat is stuck needs to be like server side rendered and also like applied to many users. No, it doesn't. It actually needs to have one text field called the, like that says yes or no, because you can update it by hand because that boat isn't moving very fast, right? Like you can figure that one out. But instead, like so many of these websites that were like, is the boat moving? We're like scraping the things for news to do like linguistic analysis on it and like NLP to figure out if the boat was stuck from CNN. Yeah, you eyeballs, man. Cross that bridge when you get there. Go to vesselfinder.com. Look at the boat and update the HTML. Yeah, right. Like there's just, there's like the simple solution and there's like the solution that engineers really want to build. And oftentimes, like a lot of the times you'll watch these things and be like, you have built something that nobody has asked for. You have engineered something that like no user actually needs because users aren't the audience. And this is why I love having PMs who are like not the end. Letting and putting engineers in charge of like ideas is bad. <laughs> it just reminds me of when, Somebody told me that users don't care what you use behind the scenes. They will never care. Nobody's going to look and say, well, actually, you did not use this latest framework to like, no, did this solve my problem? Yes. Okay, cool. Was it fast? Is it accessible? Does it do what I want it to do? From these ones, you can like get answers. Like, is it fast and is it accessible? Should affect like your decision to pick something. But like a user doesn't care if it's React or not. All the user cares is like, does it get there? Yeah. And the time spent on debates of like, well, should we use React or should we use this other, like, uh, just just pick one, just whatever. Whatever is like, we have the tools, we have the knowledge. But it seems like you're also, with your side projects, you're taking the approach of, I don't want to say like anti-monetization, but you're not doing them for profit reasons. Because I often 
talk to people about side projects and they get kind of worried about the fact that, well, if I'm going to spend time after work, then it better be for something. It better be for, you know, some like side income or passive income. It seems like for you, it's more for fun. Tell me more about that. Well, I've been incredibly blessed and privileged that I have been employed by a large company that has paid me to do these things. So it's very, very easy for where I'm standing to like put these things out there, knowing that like my employer pays me like an uh, like a daily wage to build these things. So since I've worked basically on Chrome and Polymer, like building side things with Polymer has always been like as part of my job because like I wanted people to use Polymer. I wanted people to use web components. So obviously I will build fun things that trick you into asking, but what's a web component? So that's been incredibly lucky. I'm also incredibly bad at like marketing or like monetizing or like telling people what I build. I was having this conversation with like Sarah Drasner a while back where we both suffer from this thing where like we have a bunch of things that we've built and never told anyone about them. And I was asking her like, man, I really wish there were like, those like, I don't know. I think it was like a website of a whole bunch of like Lambda functions that I could use or something like that. And she's like, oh yeah, I built this. Hold on. And I was like, Sarah, what the fuck? And it was like built and beautiful and ready for production. I was like, yeah, I forgot to tell anyone about it. So I like literally went to Twitter and be like, by the way, Sarah has built this thing and forgot to tell everyone about it. Like I announced it for her. But I think she was at the time, I think she was like a Microsoft DevRel. So she came from the same place. Like she built it for something, did the thing and then like assumed that nobody else would care about it. Why would I tell anybody about it? I've now at least like, like honestly, like that ukulele app, I wasn't going to tell anybody about it, but now I just like put them on Twitter and walk away. I feel like that's the bare minimum that I can do with my projects but like no I am monetizing means that you have to fix things oh no yeah no I'm just bad at it yeah and then people start asking for features and they start asking for well what about this like I never plan I never wanted this I I don't I have that for some of my open source projects too, where people will chime in and be like, well, I know you built this for product X, but I have this other thing that I bought that's completely irrelevant to what you're building, but can you do this too? And they get angry when you say no, which is weird. Right, and that's because open source is a prison. Open source is this thing that we we all sort of enjoy, but none of us really wanna pay for it. And we all assume that like, you know, the person just loves reading your shitty hundreds of PRs and issues that nobody asked for. They do. That's what everybody loves doing on a Thursday night. Why don't you like doing that? And you're like, nah, man, I do. I make lino cuts nowadays on Thursdays. Like, I don't have time for this. Again, with like all of these things, one of the reasons why I can be so like sort of like jerky about it, it's like, you're not paying me for it. I built you this thing out of the kindness of my own heart. Spend some time. Take it or leave it. Like, I'm not paying you to use it. And you're definitely not paying me to build it. Like Google used to pay me to build it. That's it. That's where our contract ends. You don't like it? You fix it. Don't do things for free. Yeah, it's open source. So it's open source for a reason. Right. You mentioned Polymer and Chrome. And I, again, see this kind of trend of web things. What drew you to kind of the website of technology uh, instead of the more, you know, people focus on games or anything like that? Are you ready for the most embarrassing story of my career? Yes. So let's do it. I am picture this. It is like mid 2000s 2005 or something seven i'm in my undergrad doing software engineer software engineering my studying buddy is charlie robbins who went on to like do no jitsu and uh be like a director of web at godaddy and stuff like that we're working together and he's doing this like javascript shit and i'm like 
JavaScript is a fake language and it's bullshit and the web is bullshit and I'm going to be a C++ developer. Get out of here. Honestly, like not even joking. Like if you ask Charlie, he was 100% there for this. Fast forward to like years later, I went through like writing Java and Scala and like shit like that and like looking at COBOL code and I'm on Google and I'm writing C++ for a browser, loving it. And I just have to touch a little bit of the JavaScript that Chrome has because all of the settings pages, for example, like the history pages are all JavaScript. And I was doing, I was like managing all profiles. So I had to touch that. And I was like, oh, it's kind of pretty over here. Like we can make pretty things. And then because I like making pretty things, I was also making like the Chrome UI, which is an objective C, which is a very, it's a bit of a hate crime, how objective C wants you to make UIs, but let's not talk about that. And it just sort of, I was like, oh, I can just, you know, make pretty things. I don't just have to write command line things oh my goodness and then it just like spiraled out of control where I started making like super stupid side projects because that's what I do and then I was like oh shit polymer is a team who does web things I could become really good at the web and I tricked them by being like I don't have any web experience friends but I would love to care about web components and like they took a chance on me and then by the time when I like three years later when I left Polymer I was like a web person like committed to the religion that is the web and now I can't go back like it's it's in my it's in my blood it just it's so much easier to build tools that are accessible to everyone too with a web yeah if there's one thing I learned yeah everyone everyone has a web browser yeah you can't convince everyone to have the latest RTX video card to play your video game but everyone has a browser well that was one of the things I had built these like little tiny dumb objective C things and I was like I don't understand how to package it and I can't get it to anyone like it just lives on my computer can't mm, what do I do now um whereas like I can make the dumbest web page and just put it somewhere and like send it to everyone and everybody can look at it and it's great and like if you're a person like me who like just lives off people's love like I just need people like I just need to people to like like a tweet that I make like this is how I exist it's awful Objective-C was never going to do that for me or C++ was never going to do that for me but the moment you put it on the web it is there that correlates with my experience in uh when I open a web project and there's like oh just download this and here's how to run it with node and I'm like cool I can run this versus here's a make file that needs a specific version of a compiler and a bunch of other dependencies and if you don't have one it will compile but good luck running it oh my god Oh, the com the compilation stuff is so adversarial. I have this problem where like, I don't speak any Ruby, but I use Jekyll for my blog. And every once in a while I get into this state where like the Rubies don't do the things, the Jekylls don't go. And when I try to ask them, Jekylls, why don't you go? Ruby says that like, well, the headers for this thing you've never heard about are boards. And you're like, great, love it. So happy. I'm just going to edit this blog file now, literally on GitHub and hope that it works. Like I have redesigned my website recently just by editing files and not being able to build locally and like hoping it builds and seeing what happens. Like it's great. Considering the fact that so much of that, oh, they're so not friendly for beginners, especially when I sometimes also like fiddle with these kind of things and it's, oh, the compilation error is that on line 17, something is wrong. You go to line 17, nothing is wrong. You start Googling for that and you're like, oh, it's actually not line 17. It's because you forgot this image file in some other folder somewhere. And you're like, what? Yeah, you actually just forgot to update the Xcode command line tools. Why didn't you think of that? It's always the Xcode. If anything happens on your computer, it's always the Xcode command line tools. And if you're not using a Mac, bless you, because that's not a problem you have. That is a problem that I have. It's always updating for me. Every time I try to run it, like Git or something, it's just like installing update. Like, didn't you do it like last night? Maybe? Oh, it's no good. It's no good. No good with the updates. Speaking of small and silly project, actually in 2019, you had a talk called Why You Should Build Silly Things. Oh my God, that was two years ago. Uh, it feels like a decade ago, given everything that's going on around us. 
But what is your favorite silly thing that maybe you or somebody else has built? You know, I, I saw that you were going to ask this question and I thought about it and I do not know because I go through like, I'll get very excited about something and then forget that it ever happened and like years later see it again. And I'm very bad at remembering. One of the, one of the things that I've seen and I, it takes me forever to find it and I loved it was at the beginning of the, and I did not build this, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, somebody on Glitch in collaboration with, a, with MoMA, I think, but somebody on Glitch basically built these online galleries where like you were a little tiny pixelated person and you could move around art rooms and look at art projects and interact with them. And a lot of them were like little tiny video games that people had built for that and I was like oh my god I, it's brilliant it's the kind of thing that I look at I'm like wish I had thought of that but I would have never in a million years thought of that but I love it so that was something that I really enjoyed and I can't ever remember how to find it and I, I don't tend to like go back and I see something I use it I love it yeah my friend my friend Suze she's noob cat on Twitter built this like little thing that takes a Nintendo selfie and then prints it on like a thermal printer. Like those are the things that I love and I see them. I'm like, this is brilliant. I would never use this because I don't have a, actually have a thermal printer now. So I could, but yeah, no, I don't know. I don't know. I think that like all of the silly things that you build and you experience are sort of stuck in a time. Like how you relate to them depends a lot of like who you were that particular second. So like if, if I'm in a grumpy mood, and I'll use something that's silly. I'll be like, that's silly. Why is that thing a thing? But if I'm in a great mood, I'll be like, oh my God, it's a website where you scroll to the bottom and it makes an elevator sound. That's a Tim Holman production. But yeah. I think I saw something on Daring Fireball today about somebody had this Japanese firm that built this website that is so yes. elaborate. Yes. So, okay. Okay. Let's dial this one. Yes, it is. But I've been seeing these like tweets that are like, oh, it's this person's like family office website. And it's not. It's like one of the create like one of the CEOs of Nintendo. Like it is not a tiny little like, oh, I have a little store and this is a website. It is like fucking Nintendo built this basically. And it is be beautiful. Yes, I love that one. I think it's great. Uh, but I was just like, I wanted to like mansplain to everybody on Twitter. I'm like, oh my God, it's not a home office but I stopped myself. <laughs> and actually, I learned something new today from you too because I did not realize it was built by, well, the folks behind Nintendo because we're talking about a completely different set of resources then, right? Like it's not... That's exactly it, right? And like, I only figured this out because like I have auto-translate for Japanese and like I was reading through their page and like at some point it was like, yeah, we're like the family, the, the one of the parent companies of Nintendo. And I was like, this makes so much sense because it looks like a Nintendo game, so... It, it's the family that threw people off. <laughs> they thought it's some like family law office yeah. of... Joe and Jane Smith. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> like, have you been to a family law office? Because that show was built in like 1997 and you're lucky that it still runs. Actually, you're not lucky. It's it's because it's on the web and that one's backwards compatible. Right, uh, because sometimes you run into these websites and you still see that little Netscape badge. It's like, works best in Netscape. I'm like, ah, really? Let me dig it up. 3,000 viewers. Right. I'm going to put actually a plug here. Tim Holman makes so many lovely silly side things and every time he makes one and i look at it i love it love it love it love it and he also makes really awesome non-silly creative coding apps anything he's ever made you can guarantee that it has given me like a little flutter of excitement i'll have to check it out and include it in the show notes yes that's why i said it people have show notes so that other folks can check it out too yeah so it's a very very appropriate plug in addition to writing code I, again, following you on Twitter, I see that you're doing a lot of the crafts and prints that are very elaborate. How do you foster your own creative thinking 
right? Like what inspires you? A lot of self-hate. So I, I have this problem where it's existential and it's awful and it's so boring, um, which is anytime that I do something, I always go, is this art? And then I hate it. So like I have this existential struggle to make art and to be seen as an artist, which is so boring and so quintessentially artist that I sometimes feel good about it. So like, I have an entire like group of like support friends who like, whose duty is to like slap me and be like, of course, that's art, move on, please do something interesting. So I make a lot of these things by hand, because I started doing a lot of generative art. So I've been doing a lot of generative art and not really doing anything with for years. And this year, because of the pandemic, I had uh, my friend Francis Behrman and I had this basically like anxiety attack where like we were we are going to die in the pandemic and nobody knows that we make art. And then it was just like, oh my God. So we both decided like we're going to start an online store. We're going to like put our art on it. We're going to like have it in people's houses so we can die in peace. So I started doing that. I started like printing generative art and selling it. And then of course, because again, self-hate and existential crisis, I was like, is generative art that I make with JavaScript, is it art? What is what does art that I want to make look like? And then I was like, well, what if it's art that I make with hands, but a computer generated? So it's like, I have an algorithm and makes this like generative thing. Then I print it and then I like do something with it with hands. So I was like, can I paint it? And the answer is yes, but it's kind of boring. So now I'm exploring like lino cuts where I'm like cu- carving out lines and making prints of something a computer generated, which is like incredibly fucked up in meta. And I understand this, but like, welcome to my brain. I don't know, man. Got a lot of time in my hands. <laughs> a very unique perspective. And again, speak of, you know, creative ways of going about it. I don't know if anyone else that does this. Like, I'll honestly like, I, it's like, who else is occupied with that right now? A hundred percent. Vera Molnar used to do this. Also, Vera Molnar is one of like the mothers of generative art. Um, she has so much art that you've seen and you don't know it. She made it like the squares that start out shape and then like go wiggly at the bottom or like the lines and quadrants that are like in different directions. And she used to do this a lot with computers and like do it by hand. So like this is one of her... Uh, I got this idea from like reading about her where she was like, I made it with a computer and then I made it by hand. So there's actually a lot of people who try to do this. And I'm trying to like sort of mix the things where I've been obsessing about doing these tree rings. So like, if you think about like a tree ring, it's very algorithmic. It's very geometric, like it has a pattern always. And I was like, sweet, I'm going to make JavaScript to do this. And it's kind of a pain in the ass to actually, like I have a very boring looking tree ring, but every time I look at it, I'm like, and then the question is, do I spend like 60 more hours getting the canvas pixels just right? Or do I bring Monica the human in it and be like, this is where the computer left it off. This is where Monica the human picked it off. And at the end, it's like this Monica human collaboration. So that's kind of a thing that I'm also going for. It gives me an idea of like the fractals that people would have like big algos just generated and then you can repaint it and plug it into something else. Right, exactly. There's always like, well, and this goes back to your question of like, are, is machine learning going to take music away from musicians? Are these like for loops that I'm writing to generate like fractals or like chaos attractors or stuff like that? Are they taking away from art? The people who buy things from my store don't seem to think so, even though I, in very clear details, explain how it's a for loop that I've manipulated four of the numbers that go in it. And people love it and they're like, it's beautiful. And I agree it's beautiful because I've like spent hours curating 300 shitty outputs of this algorithm and this is the one that I liked. So yeah, you know, maybe it is art. I remember there was a tool at one point in... I want to say like early 2000s that would intentionally corrupt your JPEGs that you could just plug a JPEG, it would corrupt it 
And then it would come up with this random pattern across, you know, some photo or landscape. And then you'd look at it and be like, oh, this is kind of cool. But it's like, it's a corrupted JPEG. That's all it is. Yeah. Artifacts are like a thing that we love in art. Like if you think about like, lamography which is a kind of like really shitty lens that people use for photography it's like a plastic lens that like leaks light you make filters out of it in javascript now but like this was a lens that people like insisted on making art with because like it looked in a particular way and looked beautiful and you can make beautiful things out of it so just because it's like lo-fi or corrupted doesn't mean it's not yeah beautiful a lot of there's like this instagram account i follow it's called like data viz glitches or something and it's all like just like failed visualizations that look beautiful and it's like yeah good <laughs> now, now i'll have to check that out and include that in the show notes because i have no idea about that i don't actually think it's data yeah if you give me i'll tell you the link maybe afterwards i don't remember what it's called it's 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 the opposite of the data is beautiful subreddit i'm guessing yes 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 although the data is beautiful subreddit sometimes has these things because like sometimes the data will be very beautiful i'll be like i don't know what it's communicating i'm looking at it and it's like an art but it's not what is the data i can't overlook the lack of the y-axis where is the y-axis <laughs> but it's art no it's not where's the y-axis you do a lot of things so again because what i started the podcast with there's quite a few projects did you ever put together like a plan for this is where I want to go in my career. These are the kind of projects, or was it more serendipitous? It's a little bit serendipitous. It's a little bit, very little planned. It's planned like every, I get bored. I get bored and I get antsy every like two or three years of doing the same thing. And you can like 100% see this. If you like look at every single job that I've been, two or three years is where he kicks. And that's the time where I have some sort of like career anxiety attack and I'm like, what am I doing? What should I be doing? And that's usually when I reevaluate things and try to figure out if like the things that I care about, I can steer them. So right now, for example, the things that I'm really interested that after having basically for like the last five years, I got paid to do creative things. And I think it's wonderful. I would like to, and I think it's a very cushy job and I'm starting to have like like white savior guilt about it because it's weird if you think about artists it kind of feels weird and like sell outy to get paid by a big company to make these creative things so i feel that like the kind of things that i'm building are maybe like influenced by all of these big companies that i work for so one of the things that i'm really interested about now and it all honestly all came because for the last like six months i did this fellowship with the trevor project where i used very boring machine learning to classify suicide and it was so interesting and it was so fulfilling that I feel there's like an entire genre of the world that I haven't explored, which is like very much in people's hands and very much requires good technology solutions. And we tend to like neglect that. So like working for nonprofits or from like for like really boring government websites. But I think that's what I want to do now. And it's kind of opposite because it's like not it feels like it isn't creative, but I think, again, that's like a fake idea because it is creative. It's still the result to the user is really important and how you get it there is really important. And also this is fueled by like, it is impossible to make like a COVID vaccine appointment on these websites where I do not understand what the flow is. Yeah, one of my friends wrote a script to essentially scrape the different websites so they can get an appointment for their mom, which is to me, it sounded like it's ridiculous. Like, do we really need, like how many of us are Python programmers? Right. And honestly, like the most successful experience that I've had for booking a COVID appointment has been Facebook groups where like somebody discovers it and tells everyone. I'm like, this is not okay. Like surely California, a, 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 count, like a state that has San Francisco, surely you could have convinced 
like three San Francisco engineers to help you. But the problem is that you do find three San Francisco engineers and like they want to over-engineer everything because that's what they're passionate about. And I'm, again, I think that like, I, as somebody who really hates over-engineering, I would love to go into these problems and be like, no, dial this back. Make it fast, make it simple. Yeah, with some JavaScript. I get scared when I look at these corporate architectures of different, you know, here's how to deploy a WordPress blog. For this, you'll need a bunch of functions. And like, what? Why do, I, why do I need to pay five grand a month to host a blog that gets like 10 visitors? And it's because we think of these problems as boring and we think of them as like the things that nobody want to work on, wants to work on. So like that market has been cornered by a company who's figured out they're like the only ones who want to do it so they can make the market. And I think that's a little bit like unfair. Well, again, creative solutions are needed everywhere. And especially given the fact that government websites or medical websites, vaccine research, whatever, like there, there is a tangible impact from that. Right. And there's, I think, like tons of, of space in like visualizations that we don't really like, oh my gosh, the uh, I'm currently in South Lake Tahoe and I think the El Dorado County has like this web page to report COVID numbers and like how many people are in the ICU and stuff like that. And it is, and I swear to God, this is true, a screenshot of a spreadsheet. Yikes. That's it. That's all I have. To so like these things, like, wouldn't it be fun if this like a bunch of really creative people that got together and made this really fun and usable and like interactive and sure, like maybe four users would use it in total, but like those users have the right to a good web experience. Which also makes me very scared of how much of our infrastructure is dependent on Excel. Oh, Excel is the best software ever written. Don't you take the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> I, I love Excel. I love Excel, but sometimes you're like, oh yeah, the whole database for this like county is held in Excel spreadsheet. I'm like, really? Where is it backed up? Oh, it's not. It's on a floppy disk. Never going to fail. Never going to fail. Put that shit on Google Sheets. Google will be backing it up for you for years to come. I have so many databases that are really just Google Sheets. Love it. Excel is, I, I don't think there is anything that comes close in terms of like software that actually has an impact. So <laughs> talk about. Honestly, yes. Imagine being that person who like invented, who first thought of inventing Excel. Like you, sir, don't know your name and that's embarrassing, but you are. Probably somebody that had like Viz VisiCalc or something like that. It was back, I remember we had in the former Soviet bloc, uh, these bootleg IBM computers that were IBM, but they were not really IBM. And they had these like bootleg DOS programs that look kind of like Excel. So I remember this This was like, I want to say like late 90s, like 96. I want to say one of them was called Fox maybe. Oh yeah. Was it like a Fox Pro or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fox Pro was definitely a thing. Yeah. It was part of the whole like vis visual Fox Pro. I don't remember. Yeah, it was... Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I always like try to use and did not understand what it was for on account of a 10-year-old does not understand spreadsheets. Valid. Yeah, I, I had a computer and clicked on everything. It's how I... Exactly my approach to how I learn computers. And th this is how I passed my high school programming class with like Pascal and all that fun stuff. Yeah, so in addition to all your projects, you've also done research. Tell me more about that part of your life, right? Because again, I don't know if a lot of engineers, even in my space, that would be able to say that, yeah, I do my job. And also I've written a bunch of research papers. So this one was, again, part of like Monica doesn't know what to do with her life, uh, reoccurring sets of adventures. When I graduated from undergrad, I genuinely did not want to get a job. 
so I was like, sweet, I will do a master's. And at the time I was like into really, really obscure probabilistic algorithms. So I did a master's in reinforcement learning, which was wonderful. And it's completely different than what reinforcement learning looks like nowadays or machine learning. Like when I was in, when I was doing my master's literally 10 years ago, uh, machine learning didn't work for anything. It was very slow. We didn't have fast computers. We were working on this like super esoteric proof-based research that you had to prove that something was going to work because like neural nets hadn't like really kicked off, like deep learning hadn't kicked off. And right as I was graduating, deep learning kicked off and like we are where we are now because we reduced everything to like linear algebra and we got fast at it. So I did a whole bunch of research then. And then I was like, fuck, there's nothing I can do with this research uh, except for like going to academia and move to Edmonton, which is a frigid place in Canada. And I was like, I'm not doing that. So that's when I went and got a job to, you know, make money. And then cycle back to like a decade later, I want to switch jobs. I'm in Polymer. I want to work on a different team. I'm looking at Magenta. And one of my lab mates from when I did my master's like 10 years before was like, Monica, now I'm working in like generative generative models and generative music. And I think you would love this. Go talk to this team. And I did. And it was awesome because I got back into it. And like, my team was so nice and so amazing. And like, they were like, of course you're a researcher. Everybody's a researcher. And I was like, I don't think so. Like when I left, things were very different. So I got to like do a little bit more research as part of that. So you've done, again, quite a few things. I will, like I said, I just need another podcast. <laughs> but for all the things that we talked about, this is beyond impressive. Oh God. For somebody that is going to hear this and they want to say, I want to follow in Monica's footsteps. What would be your one Uncommon advice. This is kind of the the final question that I ask my guests is something that not typically stated in, you know, blogs or books or something maybe that you've learned from your own experience. I think that, oh, that's a very good question. I think that what makes me me is that I get very bored and I'm very okay learning and ditching things a lot to figure out, like not get stuck in the same position for a very long time. So this is why I've tried all of these things. So like when they come up, I'm like, maybe say yes to things is a thing is, is maybe my advice. Like something will come up and you'll be like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm an artist. I don't think I'm a researcher. I don't think I have a spot in this. But if you actually do have a vision for it and you're like, actually, I can make it work in this way. Like sort of trust yourself, say yes to it and like get it done. But I mean, don't say yes to like terrible things. Like if somebody asked me to like be a COBOL programmer, I don't think I'm going to be like, yeah, I can make it work. Like I don't think I can. But yeah. Say yes. That's an Amy Poehler thing. Even for me, yeah, now I'll be like, all right, I'll say yes to more things. Thank you, Monica, for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Learned quite a bit. And I think there is, yeah, there's more to talk about. And we're just at the hour limit. I'll come back next week. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. For folks that want to learn more about you, where should they go? I am at Nud Waldorf on Twitter, where I yell about a lot of things. Um, I also talk, I also like try to market myself there. So if I put anything up for sale or anything like that goes there. I have a blog where nowadays I'm actually doing weekly, weekly updates. And that is at meowney.ca slash weeknotes. I have an online store called meownica.studio where I put internet things, but really like Twitter, Twitter is probably where you want to be. And I'm so sorry for the things that come out of my mouth on Twitter. They're unfiltered. It's one of those fun things about Twitter is that this is who we really are. Yeah, it honestly, it is. It's like my life journal nowadays. It kind of is. And then you see other people reacting to it. It's like, oh, maybe I got a new perspective from it. So who knows? But this has been fantastic. Monica, thank you for joining us today. It's been great. And I hope you have a great rest of the week. 
and we'll be eagerly following your future endeavors. Oh, thank you so much. It was lovely to be here.